Welcome or welcome back to the Bridge Churches podcast, where we are committed to building irresistible bridges between the unchurched and Jesus Christ. We are so glad that you're here, and wherever you're listening from, we hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, hello to you today, wherever you are and whenever this is for you. Whether you're with us live or watching later on demand, either way, thank you for inviting us into your day and into your home. If you're joining us for the first time today, my name is Scott, and we're so glad to have you here with us. And I hope that your time with us thus far has encouraged you, inspired you. I hope that you've enjoyed the music. And today you're going to find us in part three of a teaching series called Legacy. And again, if you're joining us for the first time today, or if you've missed either of the first two parts of this series for one reason or another, I would really encourage you to go to the on-demand section of our webpage and watch the first two parts. Not because I think I'm some great speaker or anything like that, but because I think what we've talked about so far will really be helpful to you. And it will also put what we talk about today in better context. So head over to bridgechurches.ca slash on demand. But the big idea that we're working on for the last few weeks is this, that when you look at your life, do you know what really determines the impact of your life or the legacy that you leave? Believe it or not, it's not your accomplishments or your competency. It's your character your character. And so the big idea for this series is this, that your character, not your competency, determines your legacy. And this is an important distinction because for many of us, and for me for a lot of years, I thought, you know, I'm just going to work harder. I'm going to work longer. I'm going to study harder, read another book, listen to another podcast, attend another conference, sharpen my skills, get a life coach, and that all of that will change the direction of my life and help me do and be what I want to do and be in life. Now, Don't get me wrong. All that stuff is great. All that stuff is important. I do a lot of those things myself, and they can help you accomplish a lot of great things in your life. But one day, one day, all that we accomplish will be gone. And when that time comes, all that's left is what people say about us. And that, what they say in large part, is our legacy. That as I've said throughout this series, I believe being missed is more valuable than building what's impressive. And so the sobering question that we need to ask of ourselves and spend the time honestly answering is, when that time comes, what are the people I love going to say about me when I'm gone? As I've told you as a pastor, having done a lot of funerals over the years, I can promise you that what people are going to talk about at your funeral, it's not going to be your competency, okay? It's not going to be, you know, your your sales in the last quarter or how awesome of a boss you were, okay? When they talk, and one day they will, when they talk, what they'll talk about is your character. Not what you did, but who you were. That's what your kids are going to remember, That's what your grandkids are going to remember. That's what, if you're married, that's what your spouse is going to remember and talk about. For those of us in leadership or in business, that's actually what your employees care the most about. That's what the people who care most about you notice the most about you. I mean, yes, of course, they're proud of you, right? They're proud of you and all you've done and all you've accomplished. But what they notice most, what they care about most, what really matters to them is your character. And yet, As true as I believe that to be, what I've noticed in my own life, and my guess is you'd agree with me about this if you stop long enough to think about it. I mean, my guess is we'd all agree that it's so much easier to work on your competencies than it is on your character. So today, what I want to do is I want to take a few moments to look at some scripture. And today I want to give you some practical things that you can do to help work on who you are. And then next week, to close out the series, next week I'm going to come back and I'm going to share some important information about our church. And next week I'm going to share personally where all of this has landed for me. 
But I have some things that I want to share with you personally, and I'm going to do that next week. So I hope that you'll join us for that. But as I said, today, I want to look at some scripture, and I want to do that from a different vantage point than I normally do. And so to set this up, what I want to do is I want to ask two questions. And the first question is this. When we look at the life of Jesus, how did Jesus do what he did? I mean, as you read the Gospels, as you look at his life and his ministry, yes, Jesus was an amazing teacher, and his teachings are really, really important. But the central part of Jesus' life and ministry are not his teachings. I mean, again, his teachings are great. You should study them. You should try to live by them. But the more I study them, the more I think, how did he do what he did? Because what Jesus did, what Jesus ultimately did was he went to the cross, that he taught and ministered for three years, but then he went to the cross and he gave himself as a willing sacrifice for you and for me. It's amazing. It's baffling. I mean, I know what he did, but how? How did Jesus do what he did? To ask it another way, how did Jesus become who he became? Now, the Sunday school answer, the simple, you know, false Christianity answer is, well, of course he did it because he was God, right? I mean, in other words, if I was God, I could do all those things too. Or maybe you have this idea that I've heard before that when he was nailed to the cross because he was God, maybe it didn't hurt as much as it did. Or that maybe he really wasn't that tempted. Or, or maybe he had all these insights and ideas because he was God. Okay, I've heard that. But the thing that is, the thing that Christians believe about Jesus, and we as Christians have believed this for millennia is, and I know this is impossible to wrap our logical minds around, but as Christians, we believe that Jesus was fully God and fully human. Fully human and fully God. And the way that you might think about this is you'd say, well, his fully God must have canceled out his fully human, meaning he wasn't really tempted the way that you and I are tempted or that he didn't really have to rely on God the way that you and I have to rely on God or that he didn't run into the same problems that you and I run into. But see, that's actually not true. That if you really understand the doctrine accurately, Jesus, he was fully human, meaning he had all the limitations that you have that he had all the limitations that I have, that he didn't have to go to the cross. He chose to go there, that he actually was tempted. And his being tempted, as we see in the Gospels, Satan's attempts weren't futile. There was a lot at stake there in those moments. And thankfully, amazingly, Jesus, in his humanness, he relied on God deeply enough not to yield to that temptation. So in other words, we can study Jesus' life as a model for overcoming obstacles and limitations. That Jesus was a man who overcame the hurdles and the realities of life that you and I both face and have a difficulty overcoming on a consistent basis. You see, people miss the humanity of Jesus all the time and they think, well, of course he did that, or of course he didn't do that. He's Jesus. It was easy for him. I mean, people think that about Jesus. They think that about me, and I'm just a pastor, right? I mean, I've been a pastor for the last 22 years, and depending on the tradition you come from, people think that I have special powers. No, they do. And as much as a comic book nerd as I am, and as much as I wish I had some kind of superpowers, I assure you I don't. But you'd be surprised how many people think I do. They're like, oh, will you pray about this for me this week? And it's like, well, just so you know, my prayers aren't any more heard or any more powerful than yours. I don't have a direct hotline. I mean, of course I'll pray, right? I mean, years ago when I moved to Canada, as I've said before, I worked at a funeral home. And when people heard what my background was, they started calling me preacher. And one day, Bob, this guy that I work with, Bob, he came to me and he said, hey, preacher, we just got a new van. Can I get you to bless it? At first, I thought he was making fun of me, but he was serious. He was like, yeah, me and the wife, we got this new van. We'd like you to bless it. I'd never done that. 
I had no experience with that, no context for that. I'd never blessed a van before in my life. And I told him, I've never done that, but sure, I'll pray with you. And so after work, we went outside and I prayed with him and for his van, which was really kind of weird, but I did it. I prayed for him and his van. I mean, I wasn't going to say no because that would be bad. So I said, look, I'd love to pray with you, but my prayers don't mean any more than yours. I mean, I'm happy to do it, but I don't have any powers. I don't. I mean, I'm a pastor, but I'm a human. I live a normal, real life just like you. I have all the same weaknesses you do, maybe even more. And those who know me well would say that's absolutely true. And see, what's so amazing about Jesus is that Jesus was fully man. He had the same limitations that you do. He was fully God and fully human. So as you read the gospel accounts, the accounts of his life, we see not just what he said and what he did, but we also see how he did what he did. We get these little clues. In the Gospel of Mark, we find the apostles returning to Jesus after completing their ministry tour. Jesus has said, you know, I'm going to take 12 followers, I'm going to build into them, and then I'm going to release them, right? Like, I'm going to send them out to do the same things that I did. He sent them out to teach. He sent them out to heal. He sent them out to do more of what he had already been doing. And so they return from their first tour, and they tell him everything they had done and taught. So then, after hearing everything they had done and taught, Jesus says, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. Jesus is like, you know what, you guys, you guys have done a lot, and I know, believe me, I know, it's exhausting, it's overwhelming, it's taxing, it's tiring, so let's get away. And what's interesting is the next verse, because it's not the environment you'd normally expect to hear Jesus saying, let's go, we're going to get away by ourselves. Jesus, he said this, why? Because all the crowds had left and everyone was healed? No. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. But see, listen, if you were in the sandals of the people coming and going, right, the people with needs who needed Jesus to do something for them, wouldn't you expect Jesus to stay? Right? You'd expect Jesus to say. You'd expect him to give, right? To give of himself, to give more of himself, and to serve the people, right? It's like, stay, Jesus, heal us, feed us, take care of us. But look, listen, all these people are coming and going, and we can assume from the context that they're not all healed, yet people are continually bringing their kids, their grandkids, they brought their relatives, they brought the sick, the hurting, the needy. All of them had real, legitimate needs. It's like, heal him, heal her, help him, help her. So what does Jesus do in the midst of all this need? In this throng of humanity, what does he do? He leaves. The text says, so they left. Like, he leaves. He's like, hey, everyone, listen. Thanks for coming. I'm so glad you're here. Hashtag, we're for you. But I got to go. And he walks off. Why? Well, they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. See, I think we miss this because oftentimes we gloss over the humanity of Jesus. But think about this for just a moment. People had more expectations of him than we could ever experience. And yet he had all the limitations that you and I experience. He was fully God, but he was fully human. He had all the limitations you and I have, meaning there was a limit to what he could do. And this isn't just an isolated text. I mean, when you start to look through the Gospels, when you look through this lens, when you start to look for this stuff, it's all over the place. Like you continually see these passages of scripture, these moments in time where Jesus would encounter people with needs, many times severe physical needs, and he would heal people miraculously. And after doing so, he would say, okay, you're healed, now go, but don't tell anyone. And then that person who was healed, they would go off oftentimes back to their village, and what would they do? 
they'd go and tell everyone. In the Gospel of Luke, we see one of these times where Jesus has performed a miracle and he's asked for discretion. But despite his instructions, the reports of his power, they spread even faster. So this person who got healed went back to their own village and told everyone about what had happened. So then this report, the report of what Jesus did and what he was doing, it spread even faster. And then, of course, vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases. In other words, the more he did, the more they wanted. And again, you would assume then that Jesus was always on, like they've got a 24-7 prayer thing going on, and the band is always playing, and Jesus is never leaving. He's like, I'm just going to stand here forever. I'll eat as we go. Just keep it going, keep it going, keep them coming, keep them coming. But look at what it says happened in the midst of all this need and expectation. It says Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. And sometimes, I mean, you find the disciples confused. They're looking around like, where'd he go? It's like, where, what, Jesus was here. Where'd he go? Like, he's gone again. And I mean, at times they couldn't even find him. It's like, where did you go, Jesus? People need you. It must have seemed odd in the midst of all that need, but he's gone all the time. And as you look at Jesus' life and ministry, it's really interesting because he didn't start his ministry till he was 30. So think about it. He had 30 years of preparation where he's praying, studying the scriptures, you know, getting to know and understand the will of his heavenly father. And then three years of ministry during which he disappeared on a regular basis to renew himself, to replenish himself so that he could do the work he was called to do so he could face the cross. You know that the night before he died, he even prayed, Lord, if it's possible for me to accomplish your will any other way, like, I really don't want to die on the cross. And the next day, he died on the cross. It takes character to do that. It takes character to do that. It takes character not to sin. I mean, do you think Jesus was tempted sexually? Sure he was. I mean, he was the rock star of his day. And my guess is he had women throwing themselves at him all the time. But he didn't succumb to it. He had more expectations than we can possibly imagine, more opportunity than we can possibly imagine. So to have the character he needed to have to do and be what you and I needed him to do and be, while he was surrounded by a world of need, he would continually say, that's enough. That's enough for today. I'm going off. I'm going to pray. I'm going to be with my Heavenly Father, not just talk about or do things for my Heavenly Father. It's kind of odd, but in a way you could say that Jesus, in many ways, he lived a life of self-sacrifice. Self-sacrifice. And like him, many watching, maybe you, you know, I was thinking about this, you know, getting ready for this week. And, you know, I think in a church, in our church, we're probably overrepresented by people who love to help and people who continually sacrifice. Now, I don't know if that's true statistically, but I know it's true of a lot of people within our church community. And maybe that's you in this season of life where you find yourself. Maybe for you at home, it's all about sacrifice. Because for you, you've got three kids under 10, and our present reality has you homeschooling and doing math again, right? And you're remembering all those years where you said, why do I have to take math? I'll never use it. And now you can barely remember how to do grade three math, right? (laughs) Or maybe you're a private contractor in your living room building forts. And all day long, you're just like, I don't get any time for myself. Or maybe for you, maybe this meme sums up your day or this season of your life, right? You love your kids, and so you say, I'm sacrificing this portion or this season of my life for my kids. That's what I'm doing. That's what I have to do. Some of you, you're sacrificing financially to put your kids through college. Some of you, you're sacrificing yourself for the sake of your spouse and what their needs are for what they're trying to do or be or accomplish in this season of their life. 
Some of you, you're sacrificing because you're starting something. Maybe you're trying to start a business in these difficult days, or, or maybe you're working towards promotion. So you're sacrificing, and your family is sacrificing so you can get there. Some of you, for you, you're just in a sacrificing position. Maybe you're a teacher, you're a healthcare provider, you're a first care responder. So your life, it's all about sacrifice. That's what you do. You continually sacrifice for the sake of something or someone else. And the beautiful thing is, in all those expressions of sacrifice, that sacrifice reflects the image of God in you. That Jesus embodied sacrifice. That's who he was, and it propelled him to do what he did. He embodied sacrifice, and he became the ultimate sacrifice. He gave his life on the cross for the forgiveness of sins, the forgiveness of sins of the entire world, yet... It's your sin. It's my sin. It's personal. And anytime you sacrifice, your sacrifice reflects the image of God in you. And while that's beautiful and powerful, what we also see in Jesus is that to be able to do that over the long term. See, the thing about sacrifice is, and what I see in Jesus and I'm needing to learn more and more in my own life is, you can't continue to self-sacrifice without self-care. You just can't. You can't do it. I can't do it, though I've tried It doesn't work. You eventually come to the end of yourself and you aren't who you need to be to be able to do what you need to do or what you're called to do. It's how you find yourself snapping at your kids all the time. Or maybe you're nice to your kids and miserable to your spouse. Or you find yourself taking such bad care of yourself that you fall into bad places and addictive and unhealthy patterns. Self-sacrifice without self-care, it leads somewhere. And that somewhere isn't anywhere good. And if you're in a season of self-sacrifice, and believe me, this is as much for me as it is for anyone else, and I'm going to share more about that personally next week. But what we tell ourselves, especially many times for those of us who call ourselves Christians, I mean, we're, we're the worst at this. We are so bad at this. And the reason we're bad at this is because we think, oh, it's all about sacrifice, that we need to be like Jesus. I just need to give, 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 give. That's what I need to do. And yes, you are called to give. But what I'm learning and what I hope that you can see in truth in Jesus's life is you can't give what you don't have. That I may have a need, but if you don't have any money in the bank, you can't help me, right? You can't give me anything. If you spend it all, you can't be generous because you spent it all. And the same is true with your life. Self-sacrifice without self-care, it leads somewhere. In actuality, it leads to two places, and neither of them are any good. Self-sacrifice without self-care, it leads to self-medication or self-indulgence. Self-medication or self-indulgence. And if you look at our culture, we have so many people self-medicating today. What do I mean by that? It's a third glass of whiskey. It's the whole bottle of wine, not just at the party or New Year's, but every night. It's taking drugs, not just because they're legal, but because they get you through. You find yourself not taking prescription medication exactly as directed anymore. Now, for me as a pastor, of course, as a church leader, drugs are off the table, and alcohol is out due to personal choice. That doesn't mean self-medication can't get creative. So you know what it is for me? It's two things. Number one, I work more. Workaholism is a thing for me. And the other is I eat. I eat way more than I need to or way more than I should. That's what self-medicating looks like for me. And I don't know what it looks like for you, but it's whatever you need to do to get by. Maybe you're eating too much, or maybe you're drinking too much, you're smoking too much, or you've got addictions, you've got some kind of sexual addiction going on. It's self-medicating. And we all do it in different ways and to varying degrees. But whatever it is, it's the thing that each of us do to get by, to numb the pain. 
Maybe for you, you'd say, well, Scott, I don't overeat. I exercise. Well, that's great. But you know what? That can be self-medicating and it can be unhealthy just as much as anything else. You're like, I'm running 15 kilometers a day and that's great. But what are you running from? Self-sacrifice without self-care can lead to self-medication and it's a problem. Or alternatively, if you're doing self-sacrifice without self-care, it'll lead you to self-indulgence. And self-indulgence is, I'm going to have my fifth vacation this year, which is harder to do these days, but self-indulgence is, you know what, I'm going to the spa after having my nails done and after having this done, or it means I'm golfing like all the time, like I'm just indulging myself. There are Amazon couriers at your house every day because you just bought this and then you just bought that just because, or it's, I'm going to renovate this or I'm going to renovate that after you just renovated it, right? It's like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go, I'm going to go, I'm going to go, I'm going to get, I'm going to get, I'm going to get, I'm going to get what I want, I'm going to go where I want, I'm doing this how I want, when I want, where I want. It's where self-sacrifice leads. And if you don't have self-care built in, and I've been terrible at this, and I've been reflecting on this as I think about my legacy and what I want to be said about me when I'm gone, and again, I'll talk more about that next week, but for now, let me ask you, How's your self-care? How's your self-care? And see, don't miss this. This is so important, and it has everything to do with character because it forces you to slow down and pay attention to what you're doing and who what you're doing is making you. It's when you start to slow down and make self-care a part or a rhythm of life that you give yourself margin to ask the really important questions. Like, what kind of legacy am I actually going to be leaving? What kind of marriage do I have and do I want to have? What kind of father am I and do I want to be? What kind of mother, what kind of friend, what kind of leader am I do I want to be? How do I want the people who are close to me and my team to really experience me? And see, what I've realized as I've prepared for this series, you know, what it all boils down to for me, and it's been coming to this for a long time, I gotta work twice as hard on my character as I do on my competency. I gotta work twice as hard on my character as I do on my competency, because for me, intuitively, instinctively, automatically, I work on my calling, not my character. I listen to podcasts, read books, go to seminars, go to conferences, talk to coaches to help me get better at what I do. I'm like you. Why are you here? Right? You want to go to church, you want to learn, you want to grow, you're good at the competency piece. Like me, you do that automatically. But what are you doing to develop your character, who you are? See, that's what Jesus was doing when he spent 30 years preparing and three years doing ministry. That's what he was doing in the middle of his ministry where he said, that's enough for today, guys. Like, sorry, I'm done. I'm out. I'll see you later. He was working on his character. He was working on his soul. He was working on his heart. He was working on who he was so he could be the person it takes to do what he did. And so he got away on purpose, not because he was soft, but so he could become stronger. There's a verse in Luke, and if you soak in that verse for just a few moments, one translation says that resolutely he set out for Jerusalem. Eugene Peterson translated that same verse in the message translation, and he translated it, he steeled himself for the journey to Jerusalem. Why? Because you know what was in Jerusalem? So did he, his crucifixion. And that's not a journey for the faint of heart. And so as I reflect on what allowed Jesus to do what he did, when I think, how did he do what he did, I found I have to work twice as hard on my character as I do on my competency because it's my character that determines the quality of my marriage. It's my character that determines whether I'm a good friend or not. It's my character that determines whether people want to work with me or whether they want to leave. 
that it's your character, not your competency that will determine your legacy. And what you and I have to understand is there is a cost to this. And we have to understand there are consequences if we don't. I mean, let's be real. Nobody will ever pay you to work on your character, right? Like, I don't know too many employers who say, you know what, here's $1,500, go do some counseling or go to this retreat or buy some books. Not that are gonna help you get better at your job, but here's some tools that are gonna help you become a better person. Like, it's rare that that happens. But you know what will happen? Nobody will ever pay you to work on your character. They'll just fire you if you don't, right? It's like, you know what, you're out, you're done. Like, we don't like you around here, and we don't want you around here anymore. Like, you've got a bad attitude, you're toxic, you're negative, you're cynical, you're critical, you're climbing over everybody to get where you're going, nobody really likes you, so you're gone. Nobody will ever pay you to work on your character, they're just going to fire you if you don't. And that's true in your life, too. If you don't work on your character, and this goes back to the gap we talked about in part one of this series, the gap between who you are and who you want to be, nobody will ever pay you to work on your character. They'll just leave you if you don't. You'll hear, we're breaking up. Our marriage is over. I'm walking out. We're not friends anymore. Yes, I know some of that happens inevitably in life in different seasons and situations, but if it's happening over and over and over again, there may be a reason, and you and I are foolish if we don't stop long enough to think about it. So for me, you know what I gotta do? Because again, nobody else is gonna ask me to do this or pay me to do this or do this for me. They're just gonna fire me or leave me if I don't. I've gotta work twice as hard on my character as I do on my competency. And yes, along the way, hopefully I'm going to get more skilled in what I do. Hopefully I'll become a better leader, a better pastor, a better communicator and all that. And I hope that I do. But more and more I'm learning that it's my character. It's my temper. It's my patience. It's the words that come out of my mouth. It's the way I treat people. It's the way I lead and leave people feeling. That's what I really have to work on because that's my legacy. So how do you do that? How do you do that? That's a great question. And to help get us started, I'm going to give you five very practical takeaways on how you can do that and how I can do that. Now, as the old saying goes, the first step is the hardest step. And the first step is actually to believe. And I have to admit, I haven't always believed this. And maybe you don't actually believe this, but Jesus actually modeled this. The first step is believing that self-care isn't selfish. Self-care isn't selfish. And maybe for you, that means you have to say to your kids, not right now, kids. Maybe for you, that means you saying, you know what, I can't make it that day. Or maybe it means you don't answer that text today. Like, I need some time for me. Self-care isn't selfish. And for your sake and for the sake of those you love and lead, I know it's counterintuitive, but there are times you have to put yourself first for their benefit because you can't give them what you don't have. And please, don't just listen to me talk about this because I'm terrible at this. Let's together look at Jesus. He spent 30 years preparing and three years doing. That's a 30 to 1 ratio. And most of us don't have the reverse of that, you know, where you work, you know, 30 hours and prepare one hour. Like, we barely, if ever, do that. We just hit the ground running, right? And then we wonder why our lives have gone up in flames or why we lost our temper or why we're so exhausted all the time or why we snap at our kids or why we snap at our coworkers or why we're so critical and why we've gotten so cynical. Like, we have to believe that self-care isn't selfish. So how do you do that? How do you put yourself first? Again, don't listen to me. Let's together take a cue from Jesus. Number one is, you spend time alone. You spend time alone. And I know, maybe you live with some other people in the house. I do, you know, and for a long time, even more than that, I was really bad at this for a long time. When I was in my 20s, my 30s, I didn't like to be alone. 
Like if I was alone in the house in those days like and nobody was around, I'd turn on the music even louder. I'd turn on the TV even if I wasn't watching it. Like I'd try to distract myself because I wasn't comfortable being alone. And you know why? Looking back, there were things going on in my life that I didn't want to deal with. There were things going on in my life that I didn't feel like I could deal with. Truth is, there was some stuff that God wanted to deal with in my life that I didn't want to look at with him. There were other things that other people wish I had dealt with in my life that I didn't want to look at. So as long as it was loud, as long as I was busy, as long as I wasn't by myself, I didn't have to think about it. And see, for many of us, let's be honest, many of us, maybe this is true for you, certainly for me at times, as I've said, being alone makes you uncomfortable. But what I've learned the hard way is that character is formed when you become comfortable living in that discomfort. Spending time alone gives us the necessary margin to ask the big questions of ourselves that results in us becoming the people they need us to become and living the life we want them to talk about when we're gone. When you spend time alone, it's then that you bump into things about you that you don't like. You're gonna bump into lust and envy and greed and anger and bitterness and insecurity and all that's okay. Because when you're alone, when you're alone, you begin to become more and more aware of the fact that you're really not alone. You need to spend time alone because then you can be alone with God. As cliche as it sounds, you need to spend time alone with God. It's you invite him into that time and that space. I shut the door to my office every day or almost every day and I spend a half hour, sometimes an hour just reading through scripture. Not for a sermon, but to be spoken to. Sometimes I pray, again, not always talking, but oftentimes just listening. It's like I'll ask of God and then I listen. Like, God, why am I so envious? Or why am I angry? Why am I bitter? Like, where's that coming from? It's when you get alone. It's when you get alone and you invite God into that space and you spend time alone with God that you begin to see those things about you. And for some of you, you've never done that. And I get that. Or maybe you'd say, you know what, Scott, that sounds great, but I don't have 30 minutes. And okay, I get that too. Start with three. The amount of time isn't as important as the intentionality behind it or the consistency of it. So set your alarm 10 minutes earlier or go to bed 10 minutes later. Put your phone down and stare out the window. Get alone so you can discover to greater depths and degrees that you aren't alone. And then number three, and this is huge, make time for honest and authentic community. And that's why I love circles and our focus on them here at the bridge. You see, we live in an age, and this is amazing, but we live in an age where everybody, unfortunately, is so isolated. And don't be fooled, COVID isn't the cause of that. It's only amplified it. And I'm not talking about that time alone and time alone with God. That's not isolation. That's solitude. And solitude is replenishing. Isolation is toxic. And we're in this weird paradox where we've never been more connected digitally, and yet studies continually show us that we've never felt more alone. And that's why we have and value circles here at the bridge. Circles are a safe place to admit we aren't who we are or want to be, and it's in that environment we can find a few people who know us and accept us where we truly are, but refuse to leave us there. We're going to be talking more about circles over the next number of weeks and months, and you're going to hear more and more about how you can get connected in a circle and make that a part of your commitment to work on your character, and I certainly hope that you're going to take advantage of that opportunity and discover the roles that circles can play in your character development. Because I talk to a lot of people. I've talked to a lot of people over 22 years of ministry, and I've spent a lot of time counseling people. And I often ask people, when they're talking to me about something, I ask them, who else are you talking to about this? Whatever this is for them. Because many times, I barely, if at all, know the people I'm talking to. So I ask them, who else are you talking to about this? 
And do you know what the number one answer is? Nobody, right? That's why circles, authentic community, it's critical to your character. And you have to make time for those relationships to develop in your life. Number four, stop making excuses. Stop making excuses. And believe me, I know them all because I've used them all. It's like, Scott, you don't understand. This is just a really busy time. Or I just got the promotion. We just moved. The kids are doing this. The kids are doing that. They're busy, so I'm busy. It's just a busy season. Been there, said all that, right? What I've discovered is seasons have beginnings and ends. And the problem with a lot of us is it's not a season we're in if your season doesn't have an ending, right? It's not your season. It's your life. In other words, if you don't have an end date, it's not a season. So for me, I'm learning this. I'm learning this. And maybe you need to learn this too. We just got to stop making excuses. It's like, well, you don't know, Scott. It's crazy at home all the time. Like, try me. Okay, I'm 43 years old with a three-year-old running around. We got to stop making excuses. So together, let's try it. Just set the alarm five minutes earlier tomorrow. Just say, hey, kids, I just got to stop for a few minutes. Or, Or, hey, honey, can you take the kids for 10 minutes? I just need a few minutes alone. If you and I, if we stop making excuses, I believe that both of us will start making some progress. And then number five, walk the talk. Walk the talk. Make your talk match your walk. Because this happens to me, my guess is it happens to you when people ask you that all annoying and cliche question, how you doing? I hate that, right? Like, how's it going? I really hate that too. It's oftentimes, and you know, we say appropriately, we say things like, oh, things are great or whatever. But more often than not, we're not telling the truth, are we? We're not telling the truth to them or to ourselves. And I know, again, I've been more guilty of this than anyone. Like sometimes I tell people who know me well, it's going great. It's not. And what that does, it's called cognitive dissonance. It sets up a cognitive dissonance where your public persona is different from your private reality. Where what you're telling other people isn't actually accurate. So you got to make your talk match your walk. And if things aren't going well, no, of course, I'm not saying, you know, go throw up on some strangers. Like, I'm so glad you asked, blah, blah, blah. Like, you're not going to do that. Please don't do that. That's going to be really awkward for them, okay? But for the three, the four, the five people in your circle who know you really well, they should be in on that. Because your character matters more to them than you think that it does. So be vulnerable so you can develop your character. Confide in them. You know what? I got a few challenges. Overall, I'm hanging in, I'm hanging on, but I got some things going on. For the people who know you really well, you need to make sure that your walk and your talk line up. So these are the five disciplines that have helped me in the years and are really helping me today and I'm really gonna try to get better at over the next season of my life. They're helping me become better at who I am, not just what I do. And I need to be more intentional with these things and I hope you will too. Time alone, time alone with God, honest and authentic community, no excuses, and then making sure, particularly as a communicator, as a preacher, as a pastor, making sure that my talk and my walk really line up because it's pretty easy, and I'll admit, it's been pretty tempting to spin it. I've done that for a lot of my life, and again, I'm gonna talk more about that next week, but between now and then, as you and I do all of this, let love be your filter. Let love be your filter. In a letter that Paul wrote to people in Galatia, he said that the only thing that really counts, the only thing that really counts is faith expressing itself through love. So when I think about how I interact with people at work, I need to be asking myself, was that loving? Was that really loving? 
Like I want to make sure that my wife knows me as somebody who loves her dearly and treats her with love and respect. I don't ever want her to question if she's cherished. I want kids, my kids, to see me as their biggest fan, not their harshest critic. I want to make sure that my legacy is a legacy of love. I want to live my life in such a way that the love of Christ flows through. I'll admit, it's a broken vessel to be sure. But I want to live my life in such a way that the love of Christ really flows through me and that it touches the people closest to me. And if it does, that'll be a life well lived. And if you do that, if you begin to focus on who you are more than what you do, what you'll discover by the time your time comes, what you'll discover is that the people closest to you will be the people most grateful for you. The people closest to you should be the people most grateful for you. And the way you get there is you work twice as hard on your character as you do on your competency. See, I'm just going to assume you're always going to seek to get a little bit better. That you're going to read that book, you're going to listen to that podcast, you're going to take that course and go to that conference, you're going to study hard, work hard. But remember, it's your character, not your competency, that will determine your legacy. Jesus did some amazing things. In fact, what he did changed my life. But all that he did flowed out of who he was, which is why Jesus was intentional. It's why he modeled to his disciples and to you and I today. Jesus took time to distance himself from what he was doing so he could be the person he needed to be so he could leave the legacy he left for you and for me. And so, as we close today, I want to invite you to take a few moments and allow this last song to be the soundtrack of a few moments of reflection between you and God. And you ask some questions of yourself. And then ask deeper questions out of your own answers. And remember that self-care isn't selfish. It's essential. So take these few moments to be some time, some reflective time with you and your Heavenly Father. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. If you have any questions, you're looking for ways to take your next step, please visit us on our website, bridgechurches.ca. Much love. God bless.